just struck as we hear that word ridden, ridden, <laughs> we hear that word read over us. Um, we sing, is he worthy, and we proclaim that he is worthy, and that word that we just read from Ephesians testifies to why he is worthy, because he is the only um, rightful sacrifice for sin. And he was the only one who had the power to conquer sin and death. And he displayed that when he took his life up again after going into the grave for three days. And God's plan, as it says there in Ephesians, that we're going to get to in just a moment a little bit more deeply, is to unite all things in heaven and on earth under his authority. That he rules and reigns over it all. And he's the only one who is worthy of our lives and worthy of of the praise that we offer, and what a gift it is to be able to be together and to do that. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's such a joy, as I said, to be able to worship with you and to see you and uh, um, to just be able to open up God's Word uh, with you. This weekend, uh, my wife and I, Laurel, we celebrated uh, our 22nd anniversary, and uh, yes... She is very much worthy of praise uh, for that effort, and um, that is a milestone, but it's a, it was a little bit of a special milestone or somewhat unique, just one of these things. I, I woke up Friday morning and thought of this and realized that I have spent half of my life uh, with her, uh, exactly half of my life, um, and that's an amazing thing to think about. I, I really, in my life, don't know much of life before Laurel, and um, which is probably good in the Lord's kindness, all of the ridiculousness in some ways, his grace has covered and washed it away. Um, but uh, it's also is fun for us to just think back uh, on our anniversary and just think back of all of God that ha all that God has done in our lives and blessed us and encouraged us and um, and as we think of that, one of the things, of course, that's very present in our lives, a very big part of our lives, of course, is this church, this family that God has blessed us with. And um, here in a couple weeks, we'll celebrate our eight-year anniversary as a church. And for our family, at least, it's a little bit, um, our life kind of is like BCC before City Church and then after City Church. And so the last eight years um, really all runs together. But, is, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to think of life that doesn't involve uh, you and uh, this great family that God has uh, so graciously blessed us with. And, you know, as we turn to Joshua chapter 24, we're going to see uh, God gather the people together and he is going to tell them the story. They're going to think back and he's really going to speak to them and explain to them, remind them of the past, remind them of all that he has done. And they're going to be called to think back of the stories that they'd heard, things that maybe they didn't live through, but things that their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents would have told them and passed on to them about all the things that God had done and their faithfulness. And it's going to lead to, ultimately, the reason that he is reminding them of that past and reminding them to remember his faithfulness to them is because in the last half of chapter 24 that we're not going to get to this morning, don't stress, we're not going to try to crank through the entirety of this text this morning, but um, in the latter half of the text, he is going to call the people of God to obedience and to faithfulness, and he's going to do that strongly. He's not going to apologize. He's not going to mince words as far as what he gives them commands as to how they are to live. But before he does that, it's like, as he's done since we began this, he's going to remind them of who he is. He's going to remind them of his faithfulness. 
If you've been with us since we began this series, all the way back in Joshua chapter 1, we said that God gives promises and then he gives commands. He promised Joshua that he would lead him and the Israelites into the promised land. And then he commanded Joshua in response to that promise, he says, be strong and courageous. So often in life, isn't it true? It is for me, at least, I sometimes do this. I slip into this temptation and just sort of this routine that I tell myself, be strong and courageous, you can do it. All of the, you know, mottos of all of the sports franchises out there in the world just tell me you are good enough, you're strong enough. And as I said last week, doggone it, people like you. And I, yeah, they, they, we, we, we hear these messages and these things kind of creep into our lives and we can begin to think that it's because of what we can do. Being strong, being courageous, being enough, being wise, being whatever, fill in that blank, that we can accomplish something. And God always does it reverse. He does it in the proper order, and we need to remember this. Promise, promise, promise who I am, what I have done. Remember me. It's all about me now. Now that you know that, now that you're secure in that, now that there's a foundation there, Now go do something in response to what you know deeply in your soul is true about me. And when we do that, faithful obedience becomes much easier. Have you ever felt, and this is an amazing thing, we talked about this from 23 last week, where Jesus says that my yoke is easy. And have you wondered why he could say and how he could say my yoke is easy? And perhaps you found yourself thinking, I don't know, following Jesus seems to be a little bit tough. It seems to be hard. There seems to be this weight to it. Well, here's more than likely what has occurred and what is the cause of that. You are trying to be obedient under your own willpower, under your own strength. You're trying to do it all on your own, and you've forgotten the promises of God's faithfulness to you. You've forgotten what God has done for you. But if you would remember that, guess what will naturally flow? I can can almost promise you this. Worship. Worship of the Lord will flow when we remember who God is and we remember what he has done. And when worship becomes the natural state of our heart, I don't mean just singing songs. That is surely a part of what we do. But our lives become lives of worship. And obedience is the natural byproduct. If I stand before you today, 22 years in marriage or 44 years in life, whatever it is, and I say to you that there's some degree of holiness, there's something that you see in me that represents Christ. Let me explain to you why you might see that. It's not because I've got it figured out. It's not because I studied enough. It's not because I know enough. It's not because I didn't do anything. It's because that I'm keenly aware of what Christ has done for me and I worship him and I worship him and I worship him and I worship him and every moment of my life is his. And I know that. I screw it up just like all of us. Paul screwed it up too. Not that that should give us hope, but I at least kind of looked at him. I'm like, well, if Paul did, then I'm not completely alone. But more and more and more, as I worship him more and more and more throughout my life, and that becomes the natural sort of state of being for me, holiness, the look, and the, the, the overflow of that worship looks like holiness in our lives. So God calls Joshua and says, bring all of Israel together. I want to remind you of what I have done. I want to tell you one more time the story 
Joshua, I'm going to use you one more time before you die to tell the story of my fame so that when I call you to live and worship me alone and to lay down all the idols that the world has for you, you'll be able to do it because you'll remember who I am. So in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, I said chapter 1, 24. See, I told you all I'm not very smart. (laughs) Joshua 24, verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. This little verse contains a lot of meat. Very quickly, they are gathered together, all of Israel now, they're gathered together, and he says, bring them to Shechem. Joshua had sort of begun this speech of transition, speaking to them as inhabitants of the promised land. They've now received this blessing of God back in 23, and he begins, he's instructing them, this is how you're to live in the grace that I have provided for you. You're supposed to be very careful to ensure that you love me. That's what his command is, the instructions that he gives. And so here in 24, he takes them to this new place, and this site is very, very important in their history. He doesn't just bring them there arbitrarily, but there's a purpose that he brings them to Shechem. And he says, this is what I want you to do. And they present themselves before God. Ultimately, they know we're being brought here so that we can hear from God. By the way, you want to know why we gather together as the people of God? We gather ourselves together on Sunday mornings and at other times. And what we're doing here, you're not asking to hear from Ryan. God forbid, that would be very, very poor judgment on your part. What you are asking to do, what we are asking to do is we're saying, God, speak to us. We present ourselves before you, almighty God. And in some way, Please use this knucklehead to teach us something, to tell us something. And so we gather ourselves and we present ourselves before God. And this is what the people of Israel did. They gather themselves at Shechem. And here's what's cool about Shechem. This is an amazing thing that God does. You might know this, but if you go back to Genesis and you begin the story of Israel, the story of Israel begins with a man named Abram. And God brought Abram to a place called Shechem. And he said to him, I will make you the father of many nations. And he made him a promise. And Abraham, what he would become, Abram believed and became Abraham. And Abram became that father of many nations. God fulfilled that promise. And now all of these millions of people that are the offspring of Abraham are brought to the very place where God had made that promise to Abram. And they're brought there so that Joshua, ultimately God, can speak through him to recount for them the stories of what he had done. This is what he says. Thus, this is verse 2, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea, and when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. 
Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And all the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites... It's really fun to just say that. Let's do it again. The Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, basically all the people of the earth, I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. So God recounts all that he had done, demonstrating for them the grace that he had displayed to these people all throughout their history. And this is a history that they would have known about. They would have heard these stories passed on to them. Abraham, Jacob bought also, by the way, a piece they reference as Jacob, buys a piece of land right here in Shechem after reconciling with his brother Esau. He believed in the promise Joshua obviously leads the people through all the stories. This is all that God had done in their lives. The last time we were in this place of Shechem where God was telling them to remember something, you might remember this. We took a stone. We had stones on these tables where we now have the communion elements. And at the end of the service, I invited you to come forward and take a stone Because the stone, the last time they were in Shechem, they built an altar to God to remind them of what he had done for them in the city of Ai. There had been all of this sinfulness and brokenness. Obviously, they had disobeyed the Lord, and God redeemed that. that. And so he called them to build an altar to remember their past and remember, once again, his faithfulness to them. And so they took those stones, they built an altar. So we took a stone, and we took that stone, and I just said, let this just be a symbol kind of in your house or to remind you to tell the stories of God's faithfulness to you. Remind yourself and remind your family and friends of all that God had done in your past. Well, in verses 2 through 13, Joshua goes beyond just what they would have remembered, this generation would have remembered, and he calls them back to the very beginning of God's faithfulness to them calls them back to the first promise that he made to Abraham. Before they were even a people, God had promised them something. Now they were a people. Now they had land. There's so much that had stood in their way, so many things that would have interfered with God or what would seem to be the accomplishment of God's promises to them, the fulfillment of that. And God, every time, as he says, I fought for you. It was not your sword or your bow, but because I fought for you. Really quickly, just look closely at all that they did. In verses two through four, it says, when your fathers, by the way, and this is an amazing theological truth, when your fathers were on the other side of the Euphrates, And guess what they were doing? Worshiping other gods. They hadn't decided, oh, we need to figure out who the true God is. And they weren't worshiping him. God didn't make this promise to them because they had had it figured out. While they were worshiping other gods, God began to unfold and work out his plan of redeeming mankind. 
And he was going to use Abraham to do that. And so it describes that. Then in verse 5, we basically get the summary of the entire book of Exodus. And I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterwards, I brought you out. Some of you were, you were with us when I taught through the book of Exodus. And you're thinking to yourselves, you should have just read verse 5. And then you wouldn't have had to do that whole book. That's all of Exodus right there in verse 5. This is all that God did. Then verses 8 through 10, we get the story of God's rejection of this man named Balaam, essentially a man that a king, an evil king, hired to curse God's people. And God said, even though he came to curse you, I wouldn't hear his words. And in fact, his words became blessings upon you. That's how powerful I am, even over these enemies of mine. I can use them to bring blessing upon you. Verses 8 through 10. And then verses 11 through 13 is essentially a summary of all that we've seen God do in Joshua 1 through 23. The fulfillment of the conquest of the land, fulfilling the promise that God made. Now you're saying to yourself, that sounds great for Israel. I'm glad that the Israelites understand their past and that God would speak to them and remind them of their past. And you may be even able to kind of draw some lines and begin to think to yourself, I also have a past, and I can remember God's faithfulness to me. And again, as we said when we took those stones home, it's right that we should consider God's faithfulness to us. But more than that, this is what we can see in this book. God working out his plan of redemption for all time, for all people. Sometimes we get such a narrow view of God, and our view of God is really confined to sort of our lifetime, maybe our lens, what we see right in front of us. And we forget that there is this cosmic plan that God is working out and unfolding to redeem all things. Everything will sit under the authority of Christ. And guess what? That's much bigger than you and me. Praise be to God, it's much bigger than you and me. It's not just our lives, but... We also can know that this story, this history, because it is part of God's plan of unfolding of redemption to make all things new and to bring all things in submission to Christ under his authority, this story and this past is a part of our past. Because without God's promise to Abraham, we would not be where we are today. This is what Paul alludes to in Romans chapter 4. If we look at Romans 4 verse 11... Paul is talking about Abraham, and basically he's answering the question that somebody in his own mind, he would have known, hey, this is what they're going to ask me about. Well, he was for Israel, right? He's for the circumcised, which was the covenant, the symbol of the covenant that God made with him. And this is what Paul says. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by how? By faith, while he was still uncircumcised. Before he received that symbol, it was his faith that made him righteous. And here's why this matters to us. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. We get caught up in the word circumcision there. I know it makes us a little uncomfortable and nervous. But here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that Abraham is not just the father of Israel, physical Israel, but it's the spiritual fathering that all of God's plan is brought through this work. It was the faith of Abraham that began to unfold this, so that, the end of that verse, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. So Abraham's story and the story of Israel and how God brought about this plan for redemption is a part of our story, it's a part of our past. Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. 
because he believed in the promise of God. He trusted in the promise of God. And guess what we see? Not perfect obedience. We saw, and we know the story, if you know that story well, Abram and Sarah, they weren't perfect. They didn't, they didn't hear the promise of God and just immediately believe everything, but they did ultimately believe. And it was that belief is why Abraham was declared. He believed and was counted unto him as righteousness. And so this history is our history. But we read Ephesians 1. Brother Frank read from Ephesians 1 because it connects the dots to help us understand even more clearly our history on this side of the resurrection, on this side of what Christ has done for us. By the way, just a quick aside here. Just I, If you've been with our church for some time, uh, you know we work our way through books of the Bible, typically. And uh, so we've been in this study in the book of Joshua. This study, each of our studies, I sort of plan that schedule out for you know, a number of months in advance. And a number of months ago, Caleb, our student minister, asked me to teach the students on Wednesday night, and he assigned me Ephesians chapter 1. What a miracle of God, and just, I love just seeing pictures of his sovereignty where I'm studying and preparing to preach Joshua chapter 24, and also studying Ephesians chapter 1, and the merger of these two things. Only God could do that. What a, it's, sorry, preachers get excited about that when they see God at work. But I just wanted to testify to you to tell you that God is at work in all these things. And I trust, I have heard from God, and what I'm telling you is from him. Just beautiful to see. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Paul, when he's writing to this church in Ephesus, he is telling them, not people that he knows ultimately personally, but he has heard of their faith. And he is reminding them as he's about to, in chapters 2 and following, going to give them some instructions on how they are to live. Paul is reminding them, these believers, of who they are in Jesus and all that Jesus has done in their past. And it's out, out of a reminder of their past that he's going to call them to this obedience. Some of you know Ephesians chapter 5. We talk about marriage and we go to Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. But before we can talk about marriage and understand how we are to live as husbands and wives properly under Christ, we need to remember the gospel. And so that's why Paul starts here in chapter 1 by teaching us that. Children and parents, how they relate. All of these relationships within the church and in the world, he says, are rooted in you realizing and understanding who Christ is and what he has done for you. And if you'll remember that, obedience and a life of worship will follow in the same way that God is telling the people of Israel, remember all that I have done. He's telling us through Ephesians chapter one, remember all I have done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless before him follows what God did before we ever lived. This is an amazing thing. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that's Jesus, 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. This is his cosmic plan of redemption and the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. If we look at verse 4, we see that God chose us. If we look at verse 5, we see that God adopted us as sons and daughters. If we look at verse 7, the first half, we see that he redeemed us. He transferred our guilt for his righteousness, made an exchange there. In the second half of verse 7, we see that he forgave us of our sins. In verse 8, we see that we have knowledge of who he is only through him because he grants us to know who he is. And then in verse 10, it says that he preserves us and that we have an inheritance that will not perish that we already possess. This is all that he says to us through just these few verses. And I want to highlight for us, just call us to see who is at work here. First thing that I pointed this out for our students, our students will know this, and so parents, this is a great conversation that you can have with your students afterwards. But notice what he says as he gives the timing of this. If we look at verses 3 and 4, we see just an amazing thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, through Christ, we have Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you ever find yourself thinking, I need more, I'm not sure about this, I want this, I need to, I need to do something to receive something from God, if I, I need to make an exchange here? You know, again, we get tempted to think of the sins versus kind of good moral things, and we try to balance those out. But even deeper than that, we think to ourselves, I need a spiritual blessing, I, I want more of Jesus. That's a great desire. But here's the beautiful thing, friends. We have everything of Jesus is fully ours in Christ today. There's not, we don't get more. We have all of him, every spiritual blessing. And guess what? In the heavenly places, there's this future tense there, right? In the heavenly places, we see and we know what we have received through Christ by the grace and the kindness of the Father. But that's our future even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Some of you maybe aren't trying to see, I would like more spiritual blessing, I want more of Jesus. That's not the question or the concern of your heart this morning. The question or the concern of your heart is, does God know my past? What about this or that? I know what happened here. I know this incident and surely, there's not, surely God wouldn't love me. Surely God wouldn't adopt me as a son or a daughter. There's something that would stand in the way there. Hear this, friends. It's what I told our students. This text teaches us and informs us that before you had a past, God chose you. Before there was anything that you could point to historically that says, well, this or this or this or this, God chose you. Before you were here, before the foundation of the world, even before he spoke in Genesis 1, let there be light, God knew you and chose you before any of it. And so if that's the case, what past did you have that you think stands in the way of God's love for you? There is nothing that stands in the way of that because that's not how he works. He chose you before the foundation of the world and before the foundation of the world, he chose you to give you through Christ every spiritual blessing that you need. 
Every spiritual blessing that could be possibly yours in Christ is yours through him. Two things to remember. First, if you read this text over and over again, I had the students do this. We see that it is all about Christ. I had them count as I read this text. I said, I want you to count and keep track of every time God's word, he uses him, he, his, speaking of himself in this. Only one student got it. A lot of bright kids, not great counters. <laughs> but one did 22 times in this short few verses God refers to himself in what he did. It's because of our union as with Christ that we have received every spiritual blessing because the spiritual blessings are bestowed upon Christ and we are his. It's because of Christ's righteousness that we are seen as holy and blameless. It's his righteousness coming through and living out in our lives, working itself out in our lives. It's through Christ's sacrifice on the cross that we are adopted as sons and daughters. It's Christ's blood that was exchanged for our blood, redeeming us. It's Christ's blood that was shed that brought us into forgiveness that God forgave and he took his wrath upon Jesus so that he could ultimately forgive us. It's Christ who made known to us the fact that we can read this word and know Jesus at all is all because he decided that it would be so. He reveals himself to us through Christ. And all this, again, so that Christ would take his rightful place in the cosmic plan seated over all things, but also in our lives, that he would rule completely over our lives. It's all through Christ. He is the one who is referenced over and over again. Second thing that emphasizes this, I want you to see the only time that we are referred to. And we're referred to in this text as us. And every time the word us is used, it's used in the same context as verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He has blessed us. So many of us live our lives thinking about our relationship to God, thinking that we must do something to receive that blessing. And when we do that, we get it all backwards. We must remember that it is all Christ. He, him, his. He does this. Again, he chose us, he adopted us, he redeemed us, he forgave us, he gave us knowledge of himself and he preserves us till the end. This is the story of you and I. This is our past. This is what Christ has done for you. How can we not marvel at that? How can we not be in awe of that? Our lives aren't lives of worship because we forget what Christ has done. We forget the righteousness that has been counted to us through him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might be called the righteousness of God. He did it all, paid it all, accomplished it all, so that 
we might be recipients of that grace. We might receive that blessing. If your soul doesn't exhale just a little, the weight of striving, of feeling like it is up to you to get things right, to just rest. I pray that maybe in these closing moments of our time together, the Holy Spirit of God would move over your heart and would show you, would reveal to you that amount of love the depth of that love that would lead us to worship. We're gonna receive communion this morning. And when we receive communion each and every time we do this, scripture teaches us, tells us that we're celebrating what Christ did. We're celebrating this past that has been given to us through Christ. We're remembering what he did on the cross. We're remembering his broken body, his shed blood. And we do this, just as the scripture teaches us, so that we would remember that grace. And so that obedience to the Lord and worship of the Lord and a life of holiness, which is, by the way, remember Ephesians 1? It's already yours in Christ. You're already seen by God as holy and blameless. So no longer a striving, but we remember what he did for us that accomplished that, that brought that to be true, that made that true for us. So I'm just gonna invite you as we receive communion, I'll give you some just brief instructions, but I, I wanna encourage each and every person in the room before you stand up and come receive the elements, have these here. We have gluten-free in the back if you need those. But before you come and receive, though, just spend some time just recounting for yourself, remembering one more time this morning what Christ has done for you, remembering the depth of his love for you, remembering that it's all him, remembering what he did on the cross. I keep referring to remember here. I, I've got to believe that there's some in this room, at least, maybe more than a handful of you who aren't sure about who this Jesus is. Just want you to know this is not some religious routine that you need to do to please us or to follow our routine. That's, it's not a routine for us at all. It's we're remembering who we are because of Jesus. The scripture instructs us that we shouldn't receive from the Lord's table if we don't know that. That's why we keep referring to remembering. We remember what Christ has done. And so if you're far, if you, if you don't know Jesus, you're kind of unsure about this Jesus, by the way, you are exactly where God would want you to be. Praise God that you're here. I, I'm so grateful that you would have enough faith to even trust us to come and worship with us this morning. But I want to invite you just to stay seated in your, in your seat and just ask the Lord, you're here, I expect. If you don't know Jesus, but you are here, you came because you're like, I need, some, I need something from God. And I don't know what that is. I can't know what that is, but here's what I do know. 
Whatever you need is found and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in prayer, would you just bow your head and humble your hearts and say, Jesus, I need to hear from you. This guy says that you're the answer. I don't know how that works, but I want to know more about it. And at the end of the service, I and a few of our elders will be down front. If you want to have a conversation about that, you've got questions about that, then there's, there's literally nothing more important in my entire life than that conversation, okay? So know that we're here to, to walk with you, to help you understand that. But just ask the Lord, because it's really nothing that I'll say. But ask the Lord, would you just say, with your head bowed, say, Jesus, I am not sure what you're doing, but I need something. And watch and wait. And I believe that Jesus, in his perfect timing, will speak to you, will reveal himself to you. He will do exactly what he intends to do with your life. And you can trust him in that. So let's spend a few moments in prayer. Let's remember. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, with which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.